Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, October 13th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics is the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel, also home of the best skate shopping in New England and the best deal, too. It's called the Beans Club. Join the Beans Club today for just 45 bucks which gets you 10 skate shoppings for the price of eight. That's right, two free skate shoppings when you join the Beans Club today. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them, I sent you. So week number five in the National Football League is in the books. I apologize for not being here. Yesterday, uh, we took the holiday. I meant to tell you that on Friday's podcast, but that was not the case. I also thought I was going to be on the radio this weekend. That also turned out to not be the case. Uh, But we took the holiday yesterday, and uh, here we are now through week five in the NFL. And I'm just going to look back. And what we're going to do today is I'll I'll react to week five and react to my picks that I gave you on Friday. Picks, picks, five games with the spread every Friday. I went three and two on the weekend and I included the Monday night game. I don't always include the Monday night game, but I included the Monday night game this week and I got it wrong. But, you know, I... I'm watching this thing last night, and I won't lie, I was more into Major League Baseball's postseason. Like, I watched the Mets last night, uh, the Mets offense go off, though early on it looked like the Dodgers were going to have the advantage. I watched the Mets offense go off, I watched Matt Harvey pitch, uh, I watched City Field just was rocking last night as they're booing Chase Utley. A, a crazy weekend in the postseason of Major League Baseball. We got two games tonight. And I'll get to those games. I'll talk about those. They're both National League games. They're both uh, games in which the road team is going to try to force a decisive game number five in two nights. And both of those teams have stud pitches going on short rest against guys on the other end, the teams that are trying to close out the series, and the Cubs and the Mets that are throwing out pitches that haven't pitched in ages. So it's going to be interesting. I do have picks for those games tonight. I'll talk about the postseason and postseason baseball before I close out this podcast. And I also will give some early thoughts here on the Boston Bruins. Terrible, terrible defense through three games to begin the season. All that before I close out the show. But this is essentially a Monday show, even though it's a Tuesday, because I was not here yesterday. So what I do every Monday is I react to the weekend in the NFL Uh, And I usually on Mondays preview the Monday night game. But since we had the Monday night game last night, I I made that pick. I picked the charges. I put it in the picks, picks, five games with the spread, and I got it wrong. And and I am not going to lie to you. I wasn't really into this game last night, mainly because the way it began was just horrible. The way this game began was terrible. I mean, this was a 7-3 to game at the half. What, so what am I going to watch? Am I going to watch a 7-3 to football game? 
that I felt like San Diego was just going to own at least in the second half. And I, I was wrong because they didn't. Because the Pittsburgh Steelers, they drove down the field late after San Diego kicked a field goal to put themselves only up 20-17. to 17. The Steelers drove down, and the Steelers showed some balls in this one. In the final play of the game. The final play of the game. I can't sit here and lie to you. I didn't see it live. I didn't. I wasn't watching it. Uh, and I should have been watching it because it was the fifth team in my picks. I was just so dead set on this, the Chargers winning that game. I did not see the final play uh, because I was all wrapped up in postseason baseball. That's really where my mind was all weekend. Though Sunday we had the Patriots whooping the Cowboys. Uh, it was 30-6. to six. I, I honestly thought it would have been worse than that. Brady fired up in this one. I tweeted during the game, there's nothing better than a fight up Tom Brady. There really isn't. There's nothing better than a fight up Tom Brady. But uh, the Patriots, they win at 36 over the Cowboys. We got people talking about Tom Brady and Alex Guerrero, uh, you know, his, his partner and the guy that he works with to stay healthy, or at least he's saying to, to prevent injuries. And it looks like Alex Guerrero isn't the most trustworthy fellow of all time, but, um, you know, look, I think you need to read Tom E. Curran. If I can recommend one thing on this Brady-Alex Guerrero story to bring Brady into it, because this does look shady. Like, Alex Guerrero, the stories that have come out about him, it looks shady. There's no question about it. But if you're going to read one thing, if you're going to read one thing on it, make sure you read Tom E. Curran from Comcast Sportsnet New England and his story on, I don't want to say his relationship with Alex Guerrero, but... He's had some experiences with Alex Guerrero, not just himself, but with his kids who are athletes too. And I, I really do think it's a must read. I tweeted out that it's a must read. I tweeted the link. It's on Comcast Sportsnet's website, uh, a place that I used to work at, CSNNE.com. I mean, most of Tommy Curran's stuff, if not all, I believe is must read anyways. But, uh, you know, this, where this is such a hot topic in this town and I'm actually, you know what? You know what I'm surprised about? And I don't know if this is because maybe I've been a little out of the NFL loop this weekend with postseason baseball. Like, I've been all in. On, I'm all in on playoff baseball. I love it. It's the, to me, it's the best time of year, even if the Red Sox aren't playing. But maybe this is just me since I've been all in on postseason baseball. I'm a little surprised that nationally – this Brady-Alex Guerrero story isn't getting some more publicity. And when I say publicity, I mean Tom Brady, I'm surprised he isn't getting more shit from some of the national analysts because that's just what people want to do. They gave Tom Brady shit for air pressure in a football. You know, the minute somebody finds out that Tom Brady is maybe working with someone who seems a little shady because let's all face it, as big a fan as I am of Tom Brady, this guy Guerrero... You know, what they're calling him a snake oil salesman. I mean, that's exactly what he, he it seems he is and what it looks like. And he looks like a shady cat. There's no question. And whenever we talk about a shady guy who works with athletes, whether he called himself a doctor or whether he didn't, right? Whenever we have someone like that, what do we think of? We, we think of PEDs. Now, at least for the time being, I'm going to throw that part of it out. I'm not going there because that's not what we're hearing. This type of this guy, Guerrero, he's shady. But at least we haven't heard yet anything about any type of PEDs. But but I'm not so I'm not saying I believe that. 
But I'm surprised somebody in the national media hasn't spun this thing out of control where it gets to that point. You want to sit here and crush Guerrero for the things he's been uh, a part of in the past? Yes, absolutely, crush him. And, you know, Tommy Curran in his column, which is great and which is a must-read, he even points out in it, look, this stuff that's coming out now in this, what, Boston Magazine article, I think, you know, that's not stuff he knew about. That's not stuff that... I knew about. That's not stuff that really any of us knew about, but it is stuff that Tom Brady knew about, and that's why it does seem shady when we say, you know, Tom, why would you join forces with this guy? What is going on here? You knew about this stuff, and you're on WEI with Dennis and Callahan and Kirk Minahan, and you're defending it, and you know those guys did a nice job uh, asking Tom Brady about this and going after him about this, and Tom Brady was very strong, I thought, in his defense of Alex Guerrero. And, uh, but I won't lie, as big a Tom Brady fan and supporter as I am, this guy Guerrero seems like a shady character. There's no question. But then I read Tommy Curran's column, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put it all together. Like, who is Alex Guerrero and what does he do? <laughs> when they tell us, when Tom Brady tells us, we don't know the whole story about everything, well... I kind of roll my eyes at first, and then I read the column from Tommy Curran, and we try to figure out what Alex Guerrero is doing for Tom Brady. And, you know, if that stuff really is working as well as Tommy Curran says it works for him and his kids, then it must work for Tom Brady too, which is why Tom Brady continues to rave about Alex Guerrero and continues to defend him. But, um, look, it's a story that people are going crazy about right now. I read Tommy Curran's column, and I get... I guess a different perspective on it and what Alex Guerrero does. So, I, I mean, I just, I guess I don't know where this story goes from here. You know what I mean? Like, Tom Brady, he, he, he knew what Alex Guerrero was. He knew who he was. He continues to defend him. And then you get the aspect of, okay, here's, when you read Tommy Curran's column, here's what Guerrero does. Tom Brady, he is staying healthy. Here's what I care about right now. As the Patriots fan of me, you know, the football fan, the Patriots fan, I want Tom Brady doing everything he can to stay healthy. So, uh, whatever he has to do, I hope he does it. Because he's got a big game next weekend. And it's Colts week. Yes, that's right. The Indianapolis Colts. It is Sunday night football. It is in Indianapolis. And right now, the Patriots are nine-point favorites. Uh, I would... This is crazy, but I'd much rather that be the story. As much as we wanted, you know, Deflategate to go away... This is the only part of the Flategate that I wanted to ever talk about was going into this Colts game and discuss how bad the Patriots were going to beat the shit out of the Indianapolis Colts in Indy because the Colts were the team that ratted the Patriots out about something that we don't even know they were doing, okay? That's it. Finally, we, get, we finally get to talk about something Deflategate related that I want to talk about that's Deflategate related. And instead, all we're talking about is... Alex Guerrero and the guy that works with Tom Brady to keep him healthy. I mean, it's, you know, it's not something that, that me personally, um, I've been spending too much time on. But again, the NFL and NFL storylines in general this weekend, I hadn't been spending too much time on because I'm a postseason baseball guy. But let's take a look at week five and let's take a look at what happened. And again, my picks, I had five teams with the spread every Friday. I went three and two. This weekend, three and two. I thought I was going to go four and one. I felt very confident in San Diego, minus three and a half over the Steelers in San Diego. But last night, again, in the final seconds, five seconds left, five seconds, the Steelers have the ball at the one yard line and 
Le'Veon Bell is lined up in shotgun. Mike Vick, the quarterback. Michael Vick, the quarterback of the Steelers. It's first and goal. They trail by three. You kick a field goal, you send the game to overtime. Steelers did not want overtime. So what did they do? First and goal, five seconds left. You would think, okay, this is going to be their last play, right? It's their last play. You think, I mean, unless you get a pass real quick and it's incomplete and the clock stops, you get one second left. Maybe. Maybe. But I'm thinking, all right, this is their last play. But again, I didn't, I wasn't watching this live, so I'm watching, I'm watching the, the replay of it. I'm watching the, uh, the highlight of the final drive of the Steelers on my DVR. And, you know, I'm, I'm going, kick the fucking field goal. I'm just thinking, kick the field goal. And that wasn't even the gamble inside of me saying that. That wasn't me having San Diego. Like, that wasn't me saying, all right, I have the Chargers minus three and a half. So what you need here is you need need a field goal, send it to overtime, and the Chargers need to score a touchdown and win an overtime with a touchdown. And not only do the Chargers win a game, they should win at home, but they also cover. That wasn't even me thinking. This was the football mind in me thinking, what are you doing? Send it to overtime. Kick the field goal. This might only this might be your last play on first and goal. What do you do? They and in that moment, they essentially tell they tell the Chargers what what they're going to do. They say, "We're going to direct snap to Le'Veon Bell because Mike Vick was lined up as a wide receiver. He was lined up as a wideout on the right side." And Le'Veon Bell just standing there in shotgun. It's clear what's going to happen. He's going to run the football. Chargers couldn't stop it. They told the Chargers what they were going to do with the game on the line. Instead of kicking the game time field goal, they said, fuck this. We will go for the win on the road. And they get it. Le'Veon Bell scores. The Steelers win 24-20. The Steelers now with the 3-2 and two record. They are now, what, 1-1 one and one without Big Ben Roethlisberger? And you look at their division, they have the Bengals ahead of them at 5-0. and But here's what a win like that last night does for Pittsburgh. Here's what it does for the Steelers. It gives them some life, and it gives Big Ben Roethlisberger a reason to, I don't want to say rush back from an MCL injury, but maybe continue to stay consistent on his path of return and say, when I do get back, we're going to have a shot. Now, the Steelers got a tough game at home against the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals team that also covered for me. Uh, on They covered for me on Sunday with a big win over the Lions in Detroit, and the Lions are a team that, you know, they remain winless. I'm expecting a coaching change at some point soon, but we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a tough game for Pittsburgh next week. Next week. But the Steelers, you know, they get the win. It's a big win. Uh, and it, I guess it, it keeps hope alive that maybe they can stay afloat for when Big Ben gets back. You know, because if the Steelers went off and lost four straight, right, and lost five straight with Big Ben out, if you're Roethlisberger, you're a big dude, you're not getting any younger, You, at least in my opinion, you say to yourself, why am I going to rush back with this MCL injury if our season is essentially over early in the season at, at the midway point of the season? Why would I rush back from this? But now, you know, you get some life in Pittsburgh, and I did not think they were going to win this game. They should not have won the game. They shouldn't have. San Diego, you've got to make one stop defensively. One stop. And that, that has been the Chargers' problem in Phillip Rivers' tenure as quarterback of the San Diego Chargers. The Chargers cannot win the games that they need to win. 
The games that they should win, that they have to win. You have Pittsburgh in your own building on primetime Monday Night Football without their best player in Ben Roethlisberger, and you can go in and say Le'Veon Bell's their best player, but look, if you don't have a quarterback in this league, you cannot win. You can't. I don't care who your running back is, you cannot win, all right? And with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben gives them a chance to be a contender. Without them, I don't care who they have in the backfield. I just I can't buy into them. So that's a game last night in San Diego. The Chargers have to win, but that's been the Chargers' story. They cannot win that game. Like the game that you look at in your schedule and you factor in injuries, okay? And you say, like if you're a Chargers fan, going into last night's game, you say, we got to win this. Like this is a game. In order to be taken seriously in this league, we have to win this game. But they didn't win it. So how can we take the Chargers seriously? And now they have a 2-3 and three record, and they look up at the Denver Broncos, who are 5-0, and all, uh, the Broncos, who won their game over the weekend in Oakland. And uh, a division that looked like it was going to be really good and, and really tough, doesn't look too good, doesn't look too tough. Kansas City, they lose over the weekend at home to the Bears. Kansas City, a tough loss. They lose Jamal Charles. Right? It just tears that ACL. And that is not just devastating for the Chiefs. That's not just devastating for Jamal Charles. That's also devastating for fantasy owners like myself of Jamal Charles. So I'm getting selfish for a second here. It is. It's devastating for us because we realize that our season is over. Now, in the NFL, I told you, you can still survive without that top dog running back. But the problem with the Chiefs is, even though I buy into Alex Smith, here they sit at 1-4. and four, And it's really, you know, you're looking up at the rest of the division. So the Chiefs, it looks like their season is pretty much over at this point. You know, it's one thing if the Chiefs are 4-1 or they're 3-2, they're not. They're 1-4. And And when you're 1-4 and and you lose Jamal Charles, that's a whole lot more devastating. Not that it's not devastating in the first place, it is, but it gets a whole lot worse when you're three games under 500 heading in to week number six. And the Kansas City Chiefs now go to Minnesota Sunday at one, which is not going to be an easy game for them. It's not. It's not going to be an easy game for them at all. So uh, my picks, I got three right. I got two wrong. I got the Chargers wrong last night on Monday Night Football. And I got the Falcons wrong on Sunday at one. In Washington against the Redskins, the Falcons were a 7.5-point favorite at home, okay? Yes, the Falcons won the game, and they're still undefeated. They're 5-0. and Matt Ryan, with a terrible game, turned the ball over, and the Falcons, they get a touchdown in overtime because an interception return, and they the Falcons win at 25-19. But there's no way that as the Atlanta Falcons, undefeated at 5-0, you should, in your own building, be held to only three points in the first half. Only three points in the first half. I know the Redskins' defense is good. It looks good. And, you know, people are maybe buying in to Washington's defense. But they're not that good where they should be holding the Falcons' offense to only three points in Atlanta through the first half. But that's Atlanta's problem. You know, they, they, yes, they win this game, but they're going to get this type of game late in the season and maybe even in the first round of the playoffs against a team that has a much better quarterback than Kirk Cousins, that has a much better offense than the Washington Redskins offense, and, and Matt Ryan's going to make the mistakes, and that's it, and, and they're going to lose that game. So they should, the Falcons should have lost this game in their own building, and it would have been a pathetic loss. Now, they win it in overtime. 
They just didn't cover for me at 7.5. So the Falcons blew it for me. The Chargers blew it for me. I got the Packers right minus 9 over the Rams in Green Bay. I got the Cardinals right minus 3 over the Lions in Detroit. And I got the Patriots right minus 9.5 over the Cowboys in Dallas. Uh, What else happened? Cincinnati rose to the occasion and they answered the big test. That was the Seattle Seahawks. In Cincinnati, they beat the Seahawks in overtime. Here are the Cincinnati Bengals now, still undefeated. The Bengals at 5-0. And, uh, you know, yeah, they, you know, they look for real. And when Seattle, you know, if this was in Seattle, maybe I, you know, maybe I would have felt differently going in um, and I would have given the edge to the Seahawks. But even though this was in Cincinnati, Seattle's still a good team. And, and basically Seattle's hungry to the point where, they were 2-2. Two two. They're looking to get back above 500 and because they need to get back in a playoff race. They look at their division. They get the Rams at 2-3. and three. They got the Cardinals in first place at 4-0. and all. And so the Seahawks, that's a big game for them. And the Bengals are able to shut the Seahawks up in Cincinnati. Bengals are 5-0. and all. We got to start taking them seriously. I guess they just keep expecting the Bengals to at some point late in the season maybe absolutely blow it. But for right now, they're undefeated, and they look damn good. They look damn good right now through week number five. Uh, What else do we got going on here? We have the Eagles get a win. Okay, the Eagles at home against the Saints, they win. And, you know, I don't like the Eagles, but that's a nice win. Big day for DeMarco Murray. Uh, the Eagles with a 39-17 to win. Murray with 83 yards on the ground and a TD. Um, he also caught seven passes for 37 yards. So Sam Bradford, 333 yards passing, two touchdowns, did throw two picks. On the other end, Drew Brees, two touchdowns, one interception. The Saints are now one and four. That's a big win for the Eagles. They're now two and three on the season, but I can't watch the Eagles and then see the news today that USC is looking for a new coach and that maybe Chip Kelly that's where he belongs back in college. And, and his name has been thrown out there in potential rumors of him going to USC. I don't know if he's going to or not, but his name certainly has been uh, in the mix. What else do we got? Tampa Bay beat Jacksonville uh, 38-31. In Tampa Bay, that's a game they should win, as bad as both of those teams are and as bad a game as that was. Cleveland beat Baltimore in Baltimore. A typical three-point game in that AFC North division between two rivals. Cleveland in overtime, 33-30 over the Ravens. Uh, Buffalo, they beat Tennessee 14-13 in Tennessee. And then we get the Giants on Sunday Night Football. They beat the 49ers in New York 30-27. So there's a look at week number five. I went 3-2 and two in picks picks, which means I'm 11-14 and 14 on the year. I'm feeling good. I'm going to continue to bounce back. I'll take... One game over 500. We'll cu- I don't know if we want to call it a bounce back week, but we'll say it's the first of multiple weeks in which you can combine them and say I bounced back because that's what's going to happen. I look forward to getting back to 500 next weekend. I make five picks every Friday. So uh, just a little Tuesday reaction to week five in the NFL. I usually do it on Monday, but since we had no show yesterday, I do it today. Tomorrow on Wednesday, I will turn the page and preview week number six. As I mentioned, looking forward to to Colts week here with this Patriots team and the beating that the Patriots are going to put on Indianapolis in Indianapolis 
on Sunday Night Football, but I'm also paying a whole lot of attention, probably most of my attention right now, being paid to the postseason in Major League Baseball. Four games yesterday, and you get a couple interesting things happened yesterday in these games, one of which, and both in the American League, by the way, because the Toronto Blue Jays did something very interesting in their game four in Texas. Now, let me get you updated, though, if you haven't been paying attention, and maybe you were, unlike me, maybe you were paying more attention to the National Football League this weekend. So let me get you updated. The American League, both ALDS series, American League Divisional Series, Kansas City-Houston, Toronto-Texas, both of those series are going to game fives, which will be tomorrow night, okay, which will be tomorrow. Game, two game fives there with Kansas City, Houston, Toronto, Texas. And that's because Kansas City forced a game five with a winning game four on the road yesterday in Houston. And Toronto won their game four to force a game five on the road yesterday in Texas. Let's start with Kansas City, Houston. The Royals, they had a huge comeback in that game because the Houston Astros were already drinking the champagne like they were going to the ALCS. They get two home runs in the seventh inning from Correa and Rasmus. And they take a 6-2 to two lead. Houston was rocking. It was fun to watch. They were having a blast running the bases, pointing to each other in the dugout, celebrating. And this was in the bottom of the seventh. And honestly, you got the feeling while they were celebrating, right? Look, I love a good celebration. And I love a team camaraderie and... and you know, I told you, when, when a Major League Baseball dugout is having fun in the late in the regular season and meaningful games and in postseason baseball, I think that goes a long way. Because from the outside looking in, you can get a vibe as to what teams are sort of gelling and what teams just feel right to you. Like, I do feel like sometimes the celebrations can give you a picture and can paint a picture of a team that looks like they're a special group, right? But also... There's, there are times, with that said, there are times in which you also get the feeling like a team's taking it a little too far. When you say, all right, boys, you still got a game to play here. I know you're up four runs, but as we've seen in the playoffs, four runs isn't necessarily enough. And what did the Royals do? Business as usual for them. They've been here before. They've battled back before. They've won these types of games before. They've gone deeper than the Astros and this young Astros group before. Royals went out, and they took a 7-6 lead in the eighth inning. <laughs> and they did most of the damage with no outs. Astros couldn't even get an out. They were already sipping the champagne. Already sipping the champagne. No pun intended with uh, Tony Sip coming into the game and <laughs> letting up uh, a, a hit in this one and a run. But... And Sip gets the loss. But look at it. Look at this. Right? I mean, you are the Houston Astros. And you're partying in the seventh inning like you just won something. I have no problem with celebrating. But I definitely got the sense at that time where I'm going, okay, calm down. You got to play a ball game now, boys. I get you're excited. You're having fun. The place is rocking. You got to win a ball game. And what do the Royals do? They come out, and before really Kansas, before they even got an out in that top of the eighth inning, the Royals in the eighth scored five runs, and they took a seven to six lead. They win the game nine to six. 
a huge comeback. I mean, I think there was some Astros players that were helping the people in the building put up the plastic in the clubhouse on the, uh, you know, cover the lockers with the plastic sheeting so that they could celebrate. I think some Astros players, you know, they hit the home runs and instead of, you know, they go through the handshake line inside their dugout where they got, right? where they got the guy in the back of the line throwing a cup of water on his face, and I think he kept walking down into the clubhouse and helped, helped everybody who works at the stadium put up the plastic sheeting on the lockers instead, instead of wanting to play the game still. Kansas City, they made him pay for it, and now we got a game five, and that is going to be tomorrow. So we get a game five in that series tomorrow, and then Toronto in Texas the Blue Jays, it looked like they were down and out in this series, and here they come now, roaring back. They beat Texas yesterday 8-4. to four. Uh, The story of this one, the story of this one, we're not surprised that Toronto scores eight runs on the road. Or anywhere, really, right? The story of this one is that David Price, they had him come out of the bullpen yesterday. When you're looking at that going, okay, you didn't start him like you could have, possibly, on short rest in that one, but instead, and you get him warming up the game before, instead you're taking him out of the pen. You're saying, all right, he's going to start game five. That's not going to be the case. Stroman's going to start game five, but you get David Price out of the pen, and he lets up a couple runs. I just don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about that move yesterday. Gives you three innings. David Price has not been proven to be great here in the postseason, and that continues. The storyline of David Price, he gets the win. Uh, but, you know, he allowed three runs in three innings, let up six hits, struck out two, didn't walk anyone, didn't let up any home runs. I, I look at David Price and I'm thinking, I thought he was going to, I honestly thought he would start game five on a very short leash, knowing that Stroman is ready. Instead, they, they put Price out there yesterday. They're going to go with Stroman. They're going to go with Stroman. So I, I also think that, look, I think Price will be available because you got all hands on deck. It's a must win. You got to get it, but it looks like it's going to be Marcus Stroman in that one. That game five tomorrow. I was, I, I just, yeah, I felt like you didn't need Price in that one yesterday, but you threw him out there. You let up a couple of runs. You still hold on. You win the game, and it'll be Stroman in game five. And as I mentioned tonight, uh, you know, interesting storylines here. You are going to get the St. Louis Cardinals still in Chicago. Okay, Chicago, they win yesterday. Arietta pitches. Cubs win at 8-6. to six, And they're going to try to close out this series at Wrigley tonight. And it's going to be rocking at Wrigley. 437 first pitch. It's going to be John Lackey against Jason Hamill. John Lackey against the righty Jason Hamill. John Lackey pitched a phenomenal game in Game 1. And it led to a Cardinals win, and their only win in this series up to this point. Lackey went up against Lester and outbattled them seven and a third for Lackey. Two hits, no runs, only walked one, struck out five. John Lackey got the job done. He's going to pitch on short rest. And I know you might say, well, that's not good news. Well, you look at the other side with the Cubs, you got Jason Hamill. You know when the last time he pitched was? You know when the last time Jason Hamill pitched? Uh, It was not in this postseason. It was October 1st. Tonight is October 13th, okay? That is almost two full weeks off. That's too much time. I will take the guy that just dominated in game one, the veteran 
postseason stud and John Lackey on short rest. I'll take him on short rest tonight in game number four over Jason Hamill. So I think Lackey's going to come out. I think he's going to dominate. And I think Hamill, I think he's going to be rusty. Put it this way. I would put my money on Hamill struggling way more than Lackey tonight because Hamill has had so much time off. I would. I feel more comfortable with the guy on short rest, especially if it's a guy like John Lackey who continues to be a postseason beast. He has big... Lackey gives you big games in the postseason, and the Cardinals are looking for another one from him tonight to force a game five. And, of course, then we get the Mets and the Dodgers. And it's a similar situation. Mets, they win it last night. Okay? They win 13-7 over the Dodgers. They look to close it out tonight at City Field in game number four. But the Mets, they're throwing a kid on the mound in Steven Matz, 24-year-old lefty, 2.27 ERA and a 4-0 record this season uh, in the majors. Young kid, a lot of inexperience here, and um, he hasn't pitched since September 24th. September 24th. I mean, that... Is a long. You thought October first for Hamill was a long time. September twenty fourth is even longer. So, uh, Stephen Matz against guess who? Clayton Kershaw in short rest. I'm going with Kershaw, even though Kershaw has seen postseason struggles. He started game one, and yes, the Dodgers lost, but that's because you know Degrom on the other side was an animal. Uh, Kershaw went six and two thirds in that one, allowed four hits. Allowed three runs, one home run, four walks, struck out 11. I'm going to go with Kershaw tonight. I think Dodgers win. I think they force a game five. I think that also in the other series, the Cardinals win. So I think we are going to have a game five in every divisional series. And, of course, in that Dodgers-Mets series, you got the whole Chase Utley slide into second, right? And that is just, you know, that's, that's as dirty a slide as I've ever seen. Honestly, I'm usually somebody that looks at it and says, I'm okay going hard into a base. I'm okay breaking up a slide. We see it all the time. It's something that guys do. Even guys that play shortstop or second base, they slide hard. Chase Utley, okay? He's a perfect example. We've seen it from both sides. Guys know what they're getting into when they're turning double plays. Guys know what they're getting into when they're sliding out into a base. I I usually don't get too worked up about this I don't get too worked up about this type of stuff, but guess what? That is just, he was way too far to the right of the bag, and he was way too past the bag by the time he went hard into this guy. It's just, it's not a clean slide. I'm okay with a hard slide. It can be hard and clean. It can. It can be hard and clean at the same time. That ugly slide was hard. That was dirty. That was dirty. It just, I'm sorry. It can't happen. And, uh, you know, he's going to appeal it. And I believe they've set the date for the appeal hearing. But that's the story there in this series, really. And tonight, Clayton Kershaw, though, he looks to make the story about him on short rest with a whole lot of, you know, that that, that postseason cloud over his head that Kershaw can't step up in the big game and get his team a win in the postseason. He's got it tonight. He's got it tonight to force a game five in which he would give the ball to Grinky on normal rest 
in LA against the Mets team that's fight up because of that injury against the Mets, you know, with the Mets fan base all over Clayton Kershaw. Look, Kershaw had this type of type of game a couple weeks ago against the Giants in San Fran when the division was on the line. Sure, not the same circumstances, but at least for Kershaw, that was a must win for him against Madison Bumgarner in that game. And he he stepped up and he pitched like a beast. Now it's officially the postseason, and I know a lot of people question him, and he did not get uh, the win. He actually got the loss in game one, but he didn't pitch that bad. He needs to be a stud tonight. I think he will be. I've, I've said this going into the playoffs. This guy is too good to at some point not turn some things around for himself in the postseason. I think he's had made some steps in the right direction. He has some building blocks here. I think this is his moment tonight, right? This is Clayton Kershaw's moment tonight at City Field, and I do think he'll rise to the occasion. At least I'll put my money on the Dodgers winning tonight, knowing that the kid on the other side in Steven Matz hasn't started since September 24th. I mean, that's an awfully long time to be throwing someone out in a game to pitch in a situation that in your own building, you're looking at it going, uh, we'd, we'd like to, re- you know, we really think we should win this one tonight, right? Kershaw, Matz, I'm sorry, I'm going to go with Clayton Kershaw. So whatever happens in these two games tonight, I will break it down tomorrow before I wrap some things up here on this show. Uh, I got to get out of here soon today. Um, I, so not to rush this podcast, even though we weren't here yesterday, uh, there are some things that, that I need to take care of this afternoon. So I, I got to bounce out of here a, a little bit earlier than usual on this podcast, but I got to mention this one thing before I do leave the Bruins, they have begun the Boston Bruins have begun the season all in three and consider me somebody who is not the least bit surprised at the fact that the Bruins have allowed 16 goals through the first three games at home, which have all resulted in losses. The Bruins 0-3. They now go on a little West Coast road trip uh, tomorrow night in Colorado and then Saturday night in Arizona against the Coyotes. Um, Colorado's a team that's going to score some goals this season. So, you know, and one of these two games, I would assume Tuka Rask does not play. But that game yesterday... That loss yesterday against the Lightning, that one's on Tuca. The previous two, I can't do it. Has he let up some shady goals? Yes. But has the defense in front of him, have, has it been brutal? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now, like I mentioned, the defense is going to be bad. Claude's going to be in the hot seat. It, this season, it's not looking like it's going to go well because the coach that you have is a defensive coach. Um, and the players are even saying it. Like, you know, we've we've built the foundation of this organization the last – you know, six, seven, eight years on defense and goaltending. And the guys who have made the decisions in the front office have done everything seemingly that they've been able to do to take that away from this organization in the last couple of years. I saw a video the other day of Dougie Hamilton getting a feed from Goudreau through the slot. Dougie steps up and absolutely snipes, and he had a pretty good celebration afterwards. Um, it, was, uh, it was sad. It was sad to see. But that's, that's the reality, the harsh reality of the Bruins organization. They have defensive issues, and I'm not so sure. Just through three games, and I know people say, well, it's a long season. Man, how do you fix these defensive issues? Well, if you're going to have this bad defense, you better tell me that you went out and acquired some type of 40-goal scorer, and we know that didn't happen either. 
So they have this team's going to have issues if they can't fix some things defensively. Uh, yesterday, I will put that one on Tuka yesterday, though. The Bruins 0-3 to begin the season. It's not fun to watch. And you want I know you want me to sit here and maybe be somewhat optimistic, but I can't tell you when this is going to get fun to watch. I can't. The only thing that's going to be maybe keeping you around and keeping the Bruins in the storylines is what's going to happen with the head coach. He's going to be gone before you know it. And But we a lot of us knew that going into the season. A lot of us knew that when Don Sweeney sat there at his introductory press conference as GM of the team, and he said, when asked, is Julian your coach? And he would not confirm it, and he would not give him a glowing recommendation, and he would not say, yes, that's my guy. Even though Don Sweeney had been in this organization, and at that point in time, he knew whether or not he wanted Julian as his guy. He did, but, you know. He didn't necessarily support him in that moment, which made me believe they don't want him. And then when they do this to the defense and they get some injuries on top of it, uh, Julian will be gone before you know it. Not that I think he deserves to be gone, but based on what I feel like the Bruins want, you know, they are going to want to also make that move, especially if they keep losing. I think they're just looking for an excuse to do it. Here's their excuse. You got a defensive coach. You can't play defense. Uh, and that's why you're losing and you're letting up all these, you know, five goals a game. Well, can't keep the coach around. If if that's, if that's you know, what if you're looking for an excuse, I'm just saying that's their excuse. Not that I think Cloak should be going, but I think that can be their excuse. So there's a little Bruins thought for you to close out the show here. Five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, Really, anywhere podcasts are available, follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard, on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show, Instagram, all forms of social media. Again, you can also get the show at dannypicard.com. And I put Picks Picks on my YouTube page, so make sure you subscribe to that, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. I'm going to bounce back here. I'm going to have a couple bounce back, just even if I go one game above 500, right, a couple weeks in a row. I'm going to try to do better than that. But one game above 500, I will take it. That's what I did in week number five. Tomorrow's podcast, I will give you an entire week six NFL preview. And as I said, I'm all jacked up about Colts week. More jacked up about Colts week than I am the relationship between Tom Brady and Alex Guerrero. Honestly, because I just don't know where else we go with that story until we hear some new information. Uh, So some football talk tomorrow, and whatever happens in the two postseason games tonight, I'm going with Lackey, and I'm going with Kershaw, and I'm going for Game 5s all around in both ALDS series and both NLDS series. I'll break it all down tomorrow. I'm out. Talk to you then.